Well, Luke chapter 8 is where we'll be today if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 8. I am, before we jump in, I meant to mark my spot here. Rookie mistake. Um, Here we go. Uh, Before we jump in, I do want to say just that I'm excited and I'm honored to be able to serve as the interim pastor here. And um, this is the last thing that Courtney and I imagined when we moved here in August. Um, And so it's probably the last thing you imagined too. And so I'm sorry about that for you too. But but I'll tell you what I told our staff uh, last week, and that is um, I do not have all the answers, period. Um, I am young, and you probably have more wisdom than me in most areas, and I'm not saying that facetiously. Um, But I've also been reminded in this little season that we're in that 1 Timothy 4.12 was not written to a middle schooler. It was written to a young pastor. And, um, And so I'm confident in the power of the scriptures and the power of the spirit to work through the scriptures. I want to do my best to... Uh, to continue to do that um, so that you hear what God has to say more than what I have to say. I will not be perfect at that. Um, And I also want to say that right now as a church, I know that we're in a season where we need a renewed sense of vision. Where are we going and who are we? And I'm excited to get to work on that with the lead team and to begin to share some of that with you over the next few weeks. So I'm excited for, um, for what I think is ahead. So thank you for being here today. Today is actually, though, not about me or the elders or the lead team. It's about Jesus and how he brings good news for all people. So Luke chapter 8 is where we'll be today. We're going to look at this familiar story. We're going to walk through it uh, together and then talk about what we might be able to learn from it. Sound good? So Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. One day, he and his disciples, that's Jesus, got into a boat and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. Luke is pretty vague about when this takes place. He just says, one day. Mark, in Mark's gospel, gives us more details. Mark, at this point, is going chronologically. Luke has gotten out of order uh, for his own purposes. And so in Mark, it lets us know that this particular day that Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, was after Jesus had finished teaching all day. So he had spent the whole day giving this long sermon and Huge crowds were following him. He was ministering to the people. And by the end of that, he is exhausted. And so he gets into this boat with his disciples. And it's, uh, the boat probably had about a, a couple dozen people in it. It was a larger boat. And so they get into the boat and Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And then verse 23, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Why did he fall asleep? (laughs) Because he was tired. Jesus is God and man. He's truly God and he's truly man. And so Jesus was a person who took naps and you can take great joy in that. 
even this afternoon, you can go be like Jesus if you want, all right? So Jesus is taking a nap. He's already said, we're gonna go to the other side. He lays down to sleep. And then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. Have you ever been in a storm before? I don't mean like, your life is a storm. I mean like a real storm. <laughs> Have you ever been in one of those? I'm from Tennessee, and when I was growing up, the storms that we feared the most were tornadoes. When I was in second grade, there was actually a tornado that came through our city, and it destroyed all of our downtown, destroyed our courthouse, in my grandmother's neighborhood, it actually picked up a couple of houses and moved them to the other side of the neighborhood. I can remember being a second grader, hiding in this closet with my mom, just listening to a radio, wondering what was going to happen. And I can remember this feeling of helplessness. And that's what storms will make you feel. Because it doesn't matter how powerful you are, how wealthy you are, how smart you are. In the face of a storm, there's literally nothing you can do. And that's the moment that the disciples were feeling. They're on the Sea of Galilee, or Luke calls it a lake, and it was in a basin. It was, it's still below sea level. And there's something about the, the hills that are around it and it being low that causes these massive windstorms to come about on the water. I don't fully understand the science of that. Maybe you do. So there's this huge storm that comes up out of nowhere. The sky starts to be dark. The waves are getting big. And it says that they're being swamped, which means that the water is starting to, to overflow in the boat. And these are experienced fishermen. These are experienced sailors. It's not like it's their first time out on the boat and they were borrowing it from somebody and they're just like, oh, I think this is bad. Like when they start to be alarmed, it's actually alarming. They know what they're doing. And they start to get nervous on the boat. And then the water starts to fill up more and more and it's not going away and they're out in the middle and they start to freak out because it doesn't matter that they're experienced. It doesn't matter that they know what they're doing. They are powerless compared to the storm. And that's the same way it is for you if you've ever been in a moment like that. And so they start to freak out. They're realizing that they're in danger and here's what happens next, verse 24. So they came and woke him up. Jesus was sleeping through the storm because he was tired. And he had already said, we're going to the other side of the lake. So he's sleeping peacefully. They are panicking. They go and they wake him up. And here's what they say. Master, master, we're going to die. We're going to die. So he's rubbing his eyes. He steps out. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. 
So they ceased, and there was a calm. It says that he rebuked the winds, the wind and the waves. He just rebuked it. Like it was a kid in his classroom, and he was saying, keep your hands to yourself. And immediately there was a calm. And now the disciples who were already panicking before are really freaked out. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, verse 25, where is your faith? That's an interesting question. Where is your faith? What were you trusting in? See, doubts are really just beliefs in something else. So what were you trusting in? Where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. Who is this? A lot of times, even if you just Google, like Jesus calms the storm and you look at the pictures that that are drawn depicting this event, most of the time, the way that the picture looks is Jesus is standing at the, you know, kind of the Titanic moment, you know, at the, at the mast of the boat, and he's, you know, doing this, and the disciples look terrified, and the, the wind and the waves are going crazy. That's normally how the picture is. I think that the real picture is Jesus standing at the front of the boat, the disciples look terrified and the sea is completely calm. Their greatest fear happens not when they were about to die and in the middle of the waves. Their greatest fear happens after Jesus has rebuked the wind and the waves and it listened to him. And now they're fearful and amazed. Who is this? Because even the wind and the waves obey him. Think about that. No matter how powerful anyone on this earth is, no matter how smart, no matter how strategic, no matter how well planned out, no matter how wealthy, we can't control the weather. Let me illustrate that for you. In 1941, Hitler had ordered that the Nazi troops move east into Russia towards Moscow. The plan was to be in Moscow and have Moscow captured by the end of summer, 1941. The Nazi strategy for war was called the Blitzkrieg, lightning war. It had worked in Western Europe. They had, ca- they had captured France in 46 days. Their strategy was that these tanks would move so quickly into enemy territory that they would overwhelm them. And before you even knew what was happening, you had captured. 
It had worked in Western Europe. Hitler ordered for it to happen in Eastern Europe and into Asia towards Russia, towards Moscow. And that's what they were doing. And they were moving at a lightning pace. If they make it to Moscow, there's probably no D-Day. Who knows if the United States even gets into the war? Who knows what the future of the world looks like if they make it to Moscow? They were well prepared. They had a better strategy. They had better equipment. And then it started to rain. And because it started to rain, all of a sudden the dirt and the roads that they were using to get towards Moscow became literally just this thick, tarry mud. And so the tanks got stuck. They were literally just stuck in the mud. And then as they're waiting for it to dry so they can get moving again, the winter comes early. And their troops who were supposed to be in Moscow by summer were not equipped with winter clothing. And so it starts to get literally negative 40 degrees some nights. And German troops start to freeze to death. As powerful as Hitler was, he couldn't control the weather. That's still true for Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, how wealthy you are, how smart you are, how strategic you are, how well-prepared you are. You can't control the weather. And so when the disciples experience Jesus speaking to the wind and the waves and they listen, they are freaked out. We knew you could heal people. That's like, you know, doctors kind of do that. So that was fine. And we have seen you drive demons out of people, but we don't really understand how that works anyway. So <laughs> that's fine. But to be in the face of a storm and you just speak and it stop, that is real. That is real power. So who is this guy? And that's the question Luke wants you to ask. Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Throughout the Gospels, the thing that each Gospel writer, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the thing that each of them are trying to get you to see about Jesus is his power, his authority, that when he speaks, things happen. He just says the word we saw two weeks ago, and the servant was healed. We saw the first week when he tells Peter to go out into deep and let down his nets. And Peter says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. There's this power to his words. Jesus speaks with authority. He teaches with authority. When he speaks, he can heal. When he speaks, he can drive out demons. And now when he speaks, the wind and the waves listen to him. Who is this guy? 
And this is one of Luke's ways of helping you see that Jesus is the Son of God. In the Old Testament, only God and his word has this kind of power. How did God create the world in Genesis chapter one? He spoke and it happened. He said, let there be light and there was light. That's significant. You can't do that unless you've got Alexa. (laughs) But he speaks and things happen. And then listen to these Psalms. Psalm chapter 65, verses six through seven. Listen to this. You establish the mountains by your power. You are robed with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the tumult of the nations. Psalm 89, verse 9. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Psalm 135, verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from his storehouses. Only God can speak and make things happen. Only God can control the weather. And then here is Jesus on a lake, asleep in a boat, and he stands up and speaks to the wind and the waves. And they're calmed. Who is this man? The New Testament writers We'll continue this theme after the Gospels and listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son, speaking of Jesus, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Listen to this sustaining all things by his powerful word. All things are under the authority of Jesus. Who is this man? He is the Lord of all. That's who he is. And all things are sustained by his powerful word. The reason that the the world is spinning right now and that we're revolving around the, the sun is because Jesus said to do so. When you drove here today and you passed some trees and you passed maybe a little squirrel and you passed, I don't know, birds, other animals that you maybe noticed. In our family, Courtney always notices animals when we're driving. Super distracting, but uh, it's great. (laughs) All of those animals and all of those plants are living because Jesus said so. He's sustaining their very life with his word. Your heart is beating right now. And your veins are carrying oxygen to your blood cells. I don't know how all that stuff works. Because Jesus says so. All things are under his authority, including nature. 
He sustains all things by his powerful word. This also means that hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes and volcanoes are under his authority. Crops and rain and sunshine and snow days are under his authority. Cancer and diabetes and heart disease and Alzheimer's and COVID-19 are all under his authority. He is the Lord of all. And he sustains all things. All living things continue to live just because Jesus says so. In the face of a man like that, the disciples were terrified. And that should humble us too. Because if, if he controls even the wind and the waves, if even the wind and the waves obey him, then I'm accountable to him too. Jesus is the Lord of all, and that means he's the Lord of you. And that's a frightening thing. Because unlike the wind and the waves, you don't always obey him. Neither do I. But a day is coming when Jesus will return to the earth to judge the living and the dead. And you and I will give an account before him for what we've done. And that's terrifying. But let me tell you why it's actually good news. Because Jesus, who is the Lord of all, Jesus, who will hold you accountable and make you give an answer for your life someday, he is also selfless and generous such an awesome God. And he has come to the earth to calm the sea. He's come to the earth to take what's evil and dangerous and to redeem it. And that includes you. Even though there are times where you have rebelled against him. Even though the inclinations of your heart generally are opposed to what he would have you do, Jesus has come to save you from your sins. He does it by going to a cross and dying in the place of sinners, being raised from the dead, in power and promising to return someday to judge all things. Jesus wants to restore you to a right relationship with him. Here's what else we learn from this passage. 
Jesus came to calm the sea. Here's what I mean by that. In the Bible, in the overall storyline, the sea is a picture of evil. It's a picture of where dangerous, evil things start to be born. Um, The reason for that is, in the ancient world, the sea was just very unexplored and very unknown, and it was very dangerous to travel. And so throughout the story of the Bible, uh, the sea is like this metaphor for that kind of thing. Evil, uh, danger, things that are sinister. That's what the sea represents. What Jesus did for the wind and the waves in Luke chapter 8, someday he will do for the world. Here's what I mean. In the beginning, when God created the world, it was good, right? But because of sin, because we were placed in charge of the world to have dominion over it, and because we rebelled against God, God not only cursed us in Genesis chapter 3, but he also cursed nature. So that nature does not operate the way that it's supposed to. Our sin has affected not just ourselves, but it's also affected nature. And that's the reason for so much of the destruction that takes place. We live in a fallen world. We're not just fallen people who live in a good world. We live in a world that's fallen now. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes that nature itself is longing for the day when Jesus returns because on that day, he will transform nature. He will redeem nature. He will make nature what it's supposed to be again. What Jesus did for the wind and the waves, he will do for the entire world. This is why, I think, in Revelation chapter 21, it says that, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And then the apostle John says, and the sea was no more. Why does he say that in Revelation 21? Does that mean that there's not gonna be like an ocean view in heaven? You won't get to go to the ocean anymore? Or is he using the word sea as it's used throughout scripture as this picture of the evil and corrupted world, the evil and corrupted nature. And he's saying that when Jesus returns, when earth and heaven become one, Jesus will be satisfied. Jesus will transform not just his people, but also his place. He'll set the world free from the brokenness. Jesus came to calm the sea. What he did for the wind and the waves, he will do for the whole world when he returns. That's good news for you. So how should we respond to this man, Jesus? How should we respond to him who is Lord of all? Here's the idea today. 
We should trust what Jesus says more than what we can see. We should trust what Jesus says more than what we can see. Think about this. Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the lake. But when they see the storm, they get terrified until Jesus speaks again. And then they realize, wait, he's who we should have been fearing all along. He's who we should have been trusting all along. Isn't it true that part of what makes it difficult to follow Jesus is so much of what we see would lead us to be afraid? Like if 2020 taught us anything, it's that a health crisis would not be that surprising, right? That could happen to you. A financial crisis would not be that surprising. That could happen to you. A national crisis, not that surprising. Right? A political crisis? Not that surprising. A personal crisis? We've become more aware of the fact that the things we can see happening around us give us reason to fear. The invitation of Jesus is trust what I say more than what you can see. Trust what I say more than what you can see. Jesus wants to be your only fear and your only shelter. He wants to be the thing that you fear him, you fear pleasing him, more than you're worried about a financial crisis or a health crisis or a political crisis or an environmental crisis. He wants to be your only fear. He taught in Matthew, don't fear what can destroy your body, but not your soul, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Those are the words of Jesus. He wants to be your only fear. But here's the good news, is he also wants to be your only shelter. When you are struck by fear of him, like we saw with Peter three weeks ago, you don't have to say, get away from me, Lord. Instead, you can run to him because of what he's accomplished on the cross. He wants to be your only fear and your only shelter. Let me ask you something. What would it look like in your life for you to trust what Jesus says more than what you can see. What would that look like? Maybe there's someone who has wronged you. And based on everything you can see, it makes absolutely no sense to be kind to them, to not try to tear down their reputation to pray that good would happen to them. That makes absolutely no sense based on what you have seen. 
But what does Jesus say? Jesus says to bless those who curse you. It makes absolutely no sense based on what you've seen for you to not use your finances simply to advance your own cause, simply to accumulate resources so that you and your family can relax and be merry, to store up treasure for yourself on earth. Based on what we can see, that makes total sense. The invitation of Jesus is always to trust what I say more than what you see. Jesus says to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, to be rich towards God, to be generous with your resources. When it comes to your sexuality, based on what you can see, pornography actually makes sense. I just saw an article this week that said that pornography is actually a great stress relief for men and women. Based on what you can see, it's a great option. The invitation of Jesus is to trust what Jesus says more than what you can see. What about our church? See, if you're just looking around at what's happened in the last five months, it would be easy to be overwhelmed based on what we can see. I'm speaking for myself here. But the invitation of Jesus is to trust what I say more than what you see. What does Jesus say about our church? Jesus says about the church that it will prevail and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says he's going to build his church. Now it's really important to realize that was not spoken specifically about Highlands Community Church. There's no promise in the Bible that Highlands will always be here until Jesus returns. It's not his promise. But he has promised that he wants to build his church. He has promised that his church will be built on his word and that his word, when it's proclaimed, will never return void. He has promised that, that the scriptures testify about himself and that if he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. The good news for Highlands is not that Jesus promised, we really need you, Highlands. You're going to endure because you've just got, you know, such a big plan, a big role to play in my plan that we, we really need you. Jesus is not on the edge of his seat in heaven, hoping that we get it together here at Highlands so that the kingdom can continue to advance and the good news can continue to go to all people. That's not the situation. The situation is that Jesus has work that he's doing. It's built on the right preaching of his word. It's built on character of his people. 
It's built on a gospel witness that is not just in word only, but that's also in deed. It's built on people who would come together with integrity around his word and who would humbly say, God, would you use us? The good news for Highlands is is that God is inviting us to be part of the work that he's doing in the world. And it's only his grace that he would include us in that. He does not owe Highlands Community Church anything. But man, does he want us to be a part of what he's doing. Man, would he love to do a work in us. Man, would he love to do a work through us. And that's what I want to be a part of. Sometimes people say, the best day of Highlands are ahead. I don't know if that's true, all right? I hope that it is. And I think it's possible that it could be true or I wouldn't be here. But I hope for us that we would not be proud that, oh man, what God is going to do through us, but instead that we would be humble and full of gratitude that he would even think to include us in what he's doing. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that kind of church. So let me ask you something as we close today. Is there anything that scares you right now in your life? Is there anything you're afraid of or anxious about? Take heart. Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is God's world. The battle is not done. Though the wrong often seems so strong, he is still the ruler. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I pray that we would trust him. Maybe for people who are here or are listening who don't know him, God, would you introduce them now? And God, where there's fear in the room today, Would you just give comfort and courage? Would our eyes be lifted? Would we see that you are more powerful than anything we fear? Would you help us to trust that and respond accordingly? It's in Jesus' name, amen.